Paperlike is a magical screen protector for your iPad that makes it feel like you are writing on paper. I use my iPad to take notes for school and to journal and to plan my whole life out, and I love that I get the convenience of writing on my iPad with the comfort of it feeling like I'm writing or drawing on paper. To pick up your own Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com gruesome, click buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now until January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost with every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. Ready to do more with your iPad? Head over to paperlike.com gruesome to get started. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Connie, along with Mrs. Claus herself, Meg, and tonight she's going to tell us about Robert Durst. Hello, I just realized I didn't write an intro to talk about this. I just went right into it. Oh yeah, that's the story of my life most days. Uh, But I will give you guys a trigger warning, I guess. So there is some domestic violence in this. There's abuse of... Uh, corpses and animals and uh, just murder in general. It's not it's not not a good time. Ugh. All right, let's do this. <laughs> okay. At 1 p.m. on Christmas Eve 2000, the Los Angeles Police Department was called to check on a disturbance at Susan Berman's house. Her little terrier was loose and its incessant barking was bothering the neighbors. When police arrived at the rented home of the dog's owner, they found the front door unlocked and the back door open. Susan was 55. She had long, dark hair that had blunt bangs, and her friends made fun of her because she had had that hairstyle forever, and that was that was just who she was. She was dramatic and eccentric. She had a host of strange phobias and superstitions. She was a journalist, and a lot of her writing centered around the fact that she was the daughter of a well-known Las Vegas mobster, Davey Berman. He was Bugsy Seigel's partner, and they were like the driving force in the development of the iconic Las Vegas Strip. Like They were what built this up. As you might imagine, mob ties like that had quite an impact on her life, but she used it as her muse. Most notably, she wrote a book called Easy Street, The True Story of a Mob Family, in which she chronicled her mother Gladys's and her own obliviousness to the mafia antics that were going on around them. In December of 2000, she was working on a few big projects, and she told her friend Kim she was about to blow the lid off of some significant information. She and Kim usually spent the holidays together, but Kim was going on a cruise this year. When police entered the home after getting the call about Lulu, they found Susan in sweats and a t-shirt face down on the floor. She had been executed with a single bullet hole in the back of her head. Investigators believed that she'd been there for at least a day. Her friends were devastated, and despite Susan's melodrama, no one quite understood who could have done this to her. Those around her kind of wondered if, like, that information she had told her friend that she was going to reveal had been a big mob secret. She didn't even 
really write negatively about the mob, though. All of her works were written from a place of love and, like, admiration. She had her father's FBI poster hung on the wall. Like, it wasn't something she was embarrassed by or talked badly about. She hadn't even known that he was a mobster until her 30s. In 1977, she went back to Vegas after making her name as a journalist in New York to learn more about her past. She visited her father's hometown in North Dakota and used the Freedom of Information Act to get crate loads of FBI files about him. And lo and behold, the files held everything she hadn't realized was going on as a kid. Bank robberies and kidnappings, murders. He, he did seven years in Sing Sing. But despite the fact that she had been the daughter of a mafia boss, she didn't have a lot of money. In fact, she frequently borrowed money. She always paid it back, but she wasn't wealthy. Her parents had both died before Susan was 14, and she surrounded herself with friends. She would make lengthy phone calls to them every single day, sharing every detail of her life and expecting the same in return. Her Rolodex had more than a thousand phone numbers in it. Oof. They'd be like, what's a Rolodex? It's a tiny, spinny phone book. Pre-cell pre phone. <laughs> what's a phone book? What's a phone book? It's paper that has phone numbers in it. <laughs> You had to write it down. What a nightmare. I had I had so many phone numbers memorized. Just oh, for sure. Could pull that out. Like, who haven't I talked to in a while? Oh, I'm going to call them. Beep, beep, boop, beep, beep, boop, boop. No. If you ask me what my mom's phone number is, I couldn't tell you right now. So Susan had a lot of friends, but she had a landlord who was a woman named Dee who showed up daily to argue with her. Her rent was overdue. Her dogs were causing havoc. Susan had caused damage to the house. And Susan had told her friends many times that Dee had a gun and she was afraid that she might hurt her beloved dogs. There was also her manager, Niall, who seems both to have loved and hated her. Susan used to analyze and discuss Niall for hours with anyone who would listen. In the month before her murder... Susan had cashed two separate $25,000 checks. Her self-proclaimed brother, not her actual brother, Bobby, had written these checks to her. Susan and Bobby were close. Her books always had a dedication to him at the beginning. And according to her friends again, Bobby had given her this $50,000 as a gift. Wasn't surprising. Susan only ever sang his praises. He had helped her out of a tough spot and she was able to settle up with Dee. She paid what she was owed and was able to cover her rent into March of the next year. And she was planning to leave that house the next June. Susan had been murdered between December 23rd and December 24th. She and her friend Rich had seen a show and had a lovely evening on the 22nd. And based on her autopsy, they believed that she had been murdered the morning of December 23rd. She had like adopted stepchildren from a previous relationship. Um, and when they didn't hear from her on Christmas Eve, they began to worry. On Christmas Day, she and Niall, the manager, were supposed to go to a friend's mother's house. And when she didn't answer her phone, Niall went to her house. And according to his account, he climbed through a window because the coroner had already taken the body and everything was already locked up. So he had to go through a back window. He knew something was wrong because there was black dirt everywhere, but that was just fingerprinting dust. And he actually learned what had happened because a neighbor told him after he had walked outside. Oh, that's awful. Mm -hmm. So he called everyone and was like, hey, this is what's going on. Right after Susan was found dead, a letter found its way to the Beverly Hills Police Department. 
and it was postmarked December 23rd. It contained Susan Berman's address and the word cadaver. And on the envelope, Beverly was misspelled. It had, like, it's normally B-E-V-E-R-L-Y, and it had an extra, it was L-E-Y at the end. So it was spelled. The LAPD was really tight-lipped about Susan's murder and the things that they were learning. But across the country, in Westchester County, New York, the DA announced that Susan had been on a very short list of witnesses to interview about the disappearance of another woman, Kathy Durst, who hadn't been seen since 1982. Kathy was the estranged wife of real estate heir Bobby Durst. Best friend, brother that writes $25,000 checks, Bobby Durst. In the fall of 1971, Bobby Durst met dental hygienist Kathleen McCormick. After only two dates, he invited Kathleen to move in with him into his home in Vermont, which really is the beginning of like a Christmas Hallmark movie or a true crime podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> she moved in with him January of 1972, and the two ran a health food store called All Good Things. Bobby's family was in uh, Manhattan real estate in New York, and he did not want to do that, so they went the opposite direction and ran this health food store. But his dad really wanted him to come back to New York so that he could work in the Durst organization. So inevitably, the couple moved to Manhattan, and this was where they were married on April 12, 1973, which also happened to be Robert's 30th birthday which makes him an Aries. We don't really talk about a lot of Aries. Despite no, not really. Nature. At the time of her disappearance, Kathy McCormick Durst was a student in her fourth and final year at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. She was studying to be a pediatrician, and she was just a few months short of earning her degree and the title of doctor. On January 31st, 1982, she appeared unexpectedly at a dinner party thrown by her friend, Gilbert in Newtown, Connecticut. Gilbert noticed that McCormick was upset. She was wearing red sweatpants, which she thought was weird because Kathy didn't usually dress that casual in public. And while at the party, Kathy got a phone call from Bobby. She left the party for their home in South Salem, New York. It was like a cottage. And that was the last time she was physically seen by someone other than Bobby. Now, Bobby and Kathy fought regularly. And earlier that month, she was treated at the Jacoby Hospital in the Bronx for facial injuries allegedly inflicted by her husband. And that was the, not the first time she had been hurt, and she was in the process of leaving him. So Kathy was supposed to meet up with Gilbert later that week, but she didn't show up. So Gilbert called the police several times and was like, hey, something's wrong. She didn't come. She hasn't called me. I haven't talked to her. Something's going on. Bobby didn't report her missing until February 5th. When he inevitably did, there was a media storm because he was offering this $100,000 reward for his wife's return, but he reduced it to $15,000 not that long afterward. I was like, 100000 anybody. You know what, actually? I don't want anybody looking too hard at this. 15000 His dear friend, Susan Berman, acted as his spokeswoman to the media at the time. Susan and Bobby had become friends at UCLA in the 60s, and they had been friends for decades. She supplied his alibi and his deposition for his involvement in the disappearance of his wife, Kathy. At this time, when she was trying to leave, Kathy asked Gerst for a $250,000 divorce settlement. 
Instead, he canceled her credit card, removed her name from the joint bank account, and refused to pay her medical school tuition. When McCormick disappeared, Durst had been like not very secretly dating Prudence Farrow, who is Mia Farrow's sister, and the subject of the song Dear Prudence by the Beatles. He'd been dating her for three years and had a separate apartment with her. So that's just like a weird side. side, But um, a doorman and the building super at the couple's Manhattan apartment claimed to have seen Kathy on February 1st, which was the day after she was last definitely seen. But the doorman also said that it was just from behind and she had been a block away. He couldn't really be sure. Three weeks after Durst reported Kathy missing, the superintendent at the Riverside Drive apartment found her possessions in the building's trash compactor. Durst maintained that that night he had placed his wife on a commuter train to New York City at Cadena Station after she came home and they argued. They'd argued, he put her on a train, sent her to one of their other places that they had, and he then got a drink with a neighbor and he spoke to his wife once she got to their Manhattan apartment by telephone later that evening. Much, much later, he admitted that he just went home and went to bed. He also claimed that on February 4th, the supervisor at Kathy's medical school called him and said that she had called in sick on February 1st and was absent from class for the entire week. Which, why would they call and tell you that? They wouldn't. They wouldn't be like, you better call your husband and let him know that you're sick for this week. If it was Kathy who had the call made, it's unknown. Um, But the day after he received that alleged phone call from her medical school, he reported her as missing. The police found his stories to be pretty much full of contradiction. Like, nothing would ever stay in a straight line. One of Kathy's friends and her sister found out that she had been reported missing, and they broke into their cottage that they thought she would be at. They were hoping that she was just hiding out there, but instead they found the cottage in South Salem ransacked. Her mail was left unopened, but all of her stuff was in the trash. Still, the case went cold, kind of. In 1983, her estate case opened and her sisters signed an affidavit that said Robert Durst was responsible for her disappearance. They just wanted that to be clear, that they believed that it was him. And Robert Durst just got to go on living his life while Kathy's case lingered with no resolution. And he just kept working with his family at the Durst organization for eight years until in February of 1990, he sold the cottage, the one that had been ransacked, and he secretly filed for divorce claiming spousal abandonment. He told no one. He did not tell anyone he was doing that. He just did it. Not his family, not his friends. And he just kept going about his business until 1999. He did leave the family business in 94 because of his inappropriate conduct. His dad was like, no, we're not going to let you take over the business. We're going to let your brother Douglas do it instead. And Robert was like, Douglas stole what what was mine. It caused a big rift. He had to like sue for his chunk of the family fortune. He got like $65 million. Jesus. I know. That's how you know. (laughs) You... I don't I don't even know how to like picture that kind of money, sixty five no. dollars. Outsourcing. Sometimes it almost feels low quality and exploitative to say. We get it. You want to maintain the integrity of your company, but hey, we have a secret. You don't have to do it all. There is a way to outsource and it be high quality and value aligned. 
Unlike most business process outsourcing companies, Partner Hero's management team includes individuals from the startup world. So they're more than a service provider. They're also a thought partner for the startups they serve. Brands that care about quality customer experience choose Partner Hero. Partner Hero has flexible terms and the ability to scale quickly, which is perfect for startups. Quality assurance is baked into every program. Running a company is overwhelming, but Partner Hero can help. Their expertise is a game changer. Get out of your support inbox so you can focus on running your business. Partner Hero is perfect for companies that are experiencing rapid growth or preparing for scaling up, or maybe you just have a busy season and need a few more hands on deck. If you're ready to bring in an outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash gruesome to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from Gruesome and they'll waive the startup fee. Yeah, sorry, that wasn't super relevant. It was just part of the rabbit hole. In the summer of 1999, so we're back in 1999, state police investigator Joseph Becerra reopened the disappearance of Kathleen Durst. It's been like 20 years almost. He got divers to search Truesdale Lake, which is in South Salem near the location of their cottage, and they re-scoured this former cottage for forensic evidence, but it had been sold like 10 years prior. They were very quiet about all of this. It didn't come out as public knowledge that this case was reopened until like October, November of the next year of 2000. And we almost come full circle in time for Susan's death. On October 31st, Halloween, Bobby got a call from his younger sister who informed him that Kathy's case had been reopened and that they were investigating. Durst had been in Northern California days before Berman was killed in L.A., and he had flown from San Francisco to New York the night before Berman's body was discovered. After her body was found, Durst confirmed to the LAPD that he had sent her those checks for $25,000, and he faxed investigators a copy of her 1982 deposition regarding his missing wife. But he was like, I will answer no more questions. That's it. That's where I stop. And Bobby did what any innocent man would do. He disguised himself as a mute woman and moved to Galveston, Texas to avoid talking to the police. What? <laughs> he disguised himself as a mute woman and moved to Galveston, Texas and went into hiding to avoid talking to the police. Jesus. <laughs> and it totally worked for like one year. And this is when the real unraveling of Robert Durst began. On October 9th, 2001, Durst was arrested in Galveston after body parts belonging to his elderly neighbor, Morris Black, were found floating in Galveston Bay. He was released on a $250,000 bail and then missed a court hearing. Just like a week later, a warrant was issued for his arrest on the charge of bail jumping. On November 30th, after he bailed, or after he jumped bail, on November 30th, he was caught inside a Wegmans in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, trying to shoplift Band-Aids, a newspaper, and a chicken salad sandwich. I thought he had like $65 million. In his pocket, he had $500 in cash. That moment, when he was arrested, the police searched his rental car, which he had rented under Morris Black's name. The name of the man that he had just murdered. Jesus. In, his, in that car was $37,000 in cash. 
<laughs> You're gonna lose it all over a chicken sandwich. For a chicken salad sandwich. It's not worth it, my boy. This is not my boy. He's an asshole. Um, yeah, thirty-seven thousand dollars. He had two guns. He had weed. He had Morris Black's driver's license. He had an eyeglass prescription and directions to his ex-wife Kathy's old friend Gilbert's home in Connecticut. So, like, he was trying to go to Gilbert's house 20 years after she had disappeared. Durst also used that time that he was running from police to stalk Douglas, his younger brother. He showed up in his driveway in Katona, New York, and he was armed. He was arrested. And Durst employed this defense attorney who's kind of like a famous East Coast defense attorney um, because he was being held in charges in Pennsylvania, but he was extradited to Texas for trial for murder. In 2003, Durst was tried for the murder of Black. On the death of Black, the prosecution presented the jury with only a premeditated first-degree murder and no lesser or manslaughter charges. It was just first degree. And initially, his defense was self-defense, but Durst's defense team found communicating with him very difficult, and they hired a psychiatrist to investigate why. And the psychiatrist spent over 70 hours examining Durst, and they diagnosed him with Asperger's syndrome. The psychiatrist later said his whole life story is so compatible with this diagnosis, and they used that to explain his behavior. Um, he had said at one point his mother committed suicide when he was very young, and he had said that he had saw her jump off the roof and his dad had made him watch. But his brother was like, no, that never happened. Just like it had been for his whole life that stuff hadn't added up. I don't understand how that is Asperger's, though. I don't like, either. That's just the psychiatrist diagnosed him with in general. It didn't really explain anything other outside of it, just that it explained his behavior. Durst said that Black was cranky and confrontational. Morris Black had grabbed a 22 caliber target pistol from a hiding place and threatened him with it. During the struggle for the pistol, the pistol discharged and shot Black in the face. During cross-examination... Durst admitted to using a paring knife, two saws, and an axe to dismember Black's body before bagging and dumping his remains in Galveston Bay after drinking a fifth of Jack Daniels. Actually, his exact quote was, I remember taking big chugs from the bottle of Jack Daniels, and I remember spitting up a whole bunch of times, and I remember taking a lot of showers. And the prosecution asked him, they said, are you telling this jury that you believe you could have ingested that amount of liquor and then dismembered a corpse with axe, with an axe and saws, and that is your testimony? And he laughed and said, yes, it is. Left. What? Black's head was never recovered. So prosecutors were unable to present sufficient forensic evidence to dispute his account of the struggle. And as a result of lack of forensic evidence, the jury acquitted him of murder on November 11, 2003. <laughs> on December 21st, 2004, he did plead guilty to two counts of jumping bail and one count of tampering with evidence, you know, because he dismembered a person's body. And he took a plea bargain. They gave him a plea deal. He got it. Like, this is what happens, though. 
to white dudes with $65 million who are con- just murdering people and like running away from it. They're like, oh, I've got the money to pay the right people who can get me off, you know? He got a sentence of five years, but he was given credit for time serve. He was supposed to serve three years in prison, but he was paroled on July 15, 2005, literally less than one year later. And the rules of his release were like, you have to stay home um, and you have to get permission if you're going to go anywhere. But that December, he made an unauthorized trip to the boarding house where Black had been killed and to a nearby shopping mall. At the mall, he ran into the trial judge, Susan Chris, who had presided over his murder trial. And he wasn't supposed to be out. So he ran into the judge who put him away. And she was like, nope, that's not cool. And the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles said, you violated your terms of your parole, and he had to go back to jail. But he was released again on March 1st, 2006. So he still only served like two years for murdering and dismembering a man. That judge later commented, you could see that this person knew what they were doing and that this was not a first time. The body was cut perfectly like a surgeon who knew how to use this tool on this bone and a certain kind of tool on a muscle. It looked like it was not a first time job and that was pretty scary. So like she even saw that this person that this man had dismembered, it looked like he had done this before. Yeah. And still he got two years. So now we've rounded back to 2006 Neither Kathy's disappearance or Susan's murder has been solved. And his loosely based life story gets optioned for a movie, which then gets made starring Ryan Gosling as Robert Durst and Kirsten Dunst as Kathy. Yep, it's real. Uh, Gosling portrays the wealthy son of a New York real estate tycoon who develops this disturbing relationship with his wife and becomes a suspect in a series of murders, as well as his wife's unsolved disappearance. And it came out in 2010. It's called um, All Good Things, like their health food store was called. And the real-life Durst loved it. He loved it so much that he called the director, Andrew Jarecki, and offered to let Jarecki interview him. This is a man that dressed as a mute woman to hide from police so he didn't have to talk. He wouldn't talk to one journalist. He had Susan do all that when Kathy disappeared. He didn't talk to anyone, but he liked this movie that this man had made about him, and he was like, okay, you can interview me. So Durst sat with Jarecki for more than 20 hours, over several years, and it led to this six-part documentary miniseries, The Jinx, that came out in 2015. So during this documentary, Susan's adopted stepson from that previous relationship contacted the filmmakers and was like, hey, I really want you guys to look at this material that was left by Berman after her murder. Like, I have this. I think you need to see it. And the material, he highlights an envelope from Durst to Berman sent in March of 1999. So before she was murdered. And the envelope's block letter handwriting matches and contains the same Beverly Hills misspelling as the anonymous envelope that was sent to police in December of 2000. Okay, so he has a separate envelope that has the same writing on it, the same words. and So the filmmakers are like, whoa, 
this is crazy. And they take it to a forensic analyst who is like, only one person wrote both of these. There's no way two different people could have written both of these envelopes. Um, And so they put the envelopes in a safety deposit box and they're like, you know what? We're going to do another interview with him. We're going to get a hold of him again and do another interview. But suddenly he gets really evasive and he's like, no, no, I don't want to do any more interviews. I've done enough. Until Durst gets arrested again for violating a restraining order filed by his brother, Douglas. Jarecki, after he's arrested, is like, he finally convinces him, let's do this second interview and we'll film it and record it. And during that time, he confronted Durst about the match in handwriting on the two envelopes. He's like, well, what's this then, buddy? And Durst is like, yeah, they are pretty similar, but I didn't write either of those. And so they're done with the interview and Durst gets up to go to the bathroom, unaware that he is still mic'd up. And he started rambling to himself. His exact words were, there it is. You're caught. You're right, of course, but you can't imagine. Arrest him. I don't know what's in the house. Oh, I want this. What a disaster. He was right. I was wrong. And the burping. I'm having difficulty with the question. What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. So talking to himself on mic, being recorded. Whoa. Admits to doing this. And so he's arrested again in New Orleans this time on first degree murder charges for the death of his friend, quote unquote. He got arrested the day before the finale of that documentary was aired. So like amazing PR for them. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Uh, He was arrested on March 14th, 2015 at the Canal Street Marriott in New Orleans where he had registered under the false name Everett Ward. He used aliases everywhere for everything. And he had all the stuff he needed to make his own fake IDs. So he was he would just make a new ID. He had been tracked to the hotel after he made two phone calls to check his voicemail, and he was observed wandering aimlessly in the lobby and mumbling to himself. And when they searched him this time, they found a thirty-eight caliber revolver, loaded with four live rounds and one spent shell casing. He had five ounces of weed. He had his birth certificate and his passport, maps of Louisiana, Florida, and Cuba, a flesh-toned latex mask, a fake Texas ID card for Everett, and a new cell phone and cash totaling $42,631. Police also found a UPS tracking number on a receipt and that when they found that package, it had another $117,000 in cash in it and a pair of shoes sent to him by a friend. And so those things were seized after his arrest. Bank statements found in one of Durst's Houston condominiums revealed cath withdrawals of $315,000 in a, about a month. He was trying to flee to Cuba after the HBO documentary aired because the U.S. and Cuba don't have an extradition treaty. So he was like, I'm just going to go to Cuba. See you yeah. later, guys. But he did not make it. He almost had it, man. He almost you had almost, it. You almost made it. On March 15th, 2015, um, Joseph Becerra, the investigator who had reopened Kathy's case in the first place in 1999. So now it's like 16 years later and he's still working on it and working with the FBI and Los Angeles detectives. And he got 60 file boxes of Durst's personal papers and effects from the home of Durst's friend, Susan T. Giordano. Um, She was the one safekeeping all of his stuff. Uh, And she had been doing it for his then wife, 
Deborah Lee Sharitan because he got remarried literally four days before he murdered Susan. Four days before he got married. Also stored at her residence were the videotaped depositions of Durst, his brother Douglas, and Sheraton, all of which were related to the Morse Black case. In order to hold him while they were getting all of this together, he was arrested on firearm charges because he was still a felon, so he mm-hmm. couldn't have guns. But those charges got dropped on April 23rd, so they gave him another weapons charge, a different one. And in November... A New Orleans federal judge ordered he be rearranged, and he had a scheduled hearing for December 17th. When they asked, his attorney was just like, he didn't kill Berman. We just want to resolve these other charges um, to expedite Durst's extradition to Los Angeles so that he can face that charge. And he was. But this trial, despite this starting in 2015, didn't get going until 2021. Jesus. So... Between him getting sick and them trying to get him there, he, and then 2020 hit when they were supposed to actually finally get started and it was pandemic chaos and this guy is old as dirt, he's sick, he got cancer and he's in the hospital every other week. So September 17th, 2021, a jury finally convicted Durst for the first degree murder of Susan Berman. And October 14th, 2021, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for Berman's murder. Do we know why he did it? Because she knew about Kathy. Oh, and that's the big story she was about to bust open. Yeah, that was it. She knew about Kathy. She was going to either write it or tell people about it. Um, But... As soon as they reopened the case and he knew that she knew, he came back because she was his alibi. She was his deposition, you know. She mm-hmm. had covered for him, and that's why I think he was paying her $25,000. Yeah, so he was just trying to pay to keep her quiet, and then as soon as he found out it was reopened, he went and murdered her. Um, they immediately tried to appeal it, his, and his request for a new trial was denied because of the abundance of evidence in his guilt. And he died on January 10th of this year. So he was literally in prison for like four months. Mm. Okay, guys, say it with me. Convenience. We're busy. You don't want to lug around your big blender, and you sure as heck don't want to stand in line or pay the prices at a smoothie bar. You want quick, nutritious, and you want it on the go. I have to tell you about my hands-down favorite new kitchen gadget the Blendjet 2. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. I'm already counting down to warm weather so I can blend up a cocktail from the boat or the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. Because remember, we love convenience. There are 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from. I am obsessed. Meg is obsessed. We've been texting about this nonstop. My husband already picked out one that matches his style because we both have to be able to make margaritas. I mean, nutritious smoothies. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. 
No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. In January of 2022, the family of Kathleen filed a wrongful death suit against Durst's estate. Um, And they had been trying to file this pretty much since 2015 to claim his assets. And a federal judge in New York ruled that his heir, Deborah Lee Charitan, who is the woman he's technically married to, but he's never lived with her. Like they've just been, it's like a married on, married on paper thing. Uh, she's not allowed to do anything with his $100 million estate that he now has in terms of real estate and money and everything. So Charitan had to show up in court on March 25th. Uh, and show cause why the order shouldn't be issued. And I'm not actually sure how that ended up, but yeah. So they're still fighting for their right to party over there. I have side things as well about this guy. Yeah, for sure. Let's hear it. So in July 2014, he was arrested uh, because he pulled out his wiener in a CVS and peed on a rack of candy, pleaded no contest, paid $500. there's a videotape of it. You can Google it if you want to. <laughs> videotape. There's a recording of it. <laughs> His brother said that in the early 80s, Durst owned a series of seven Alaskan Malamutes, all of which were named Igor, and all of which died in mysterious circumstances. And prior to the airing of the Jinx, Douglas told the New York Times that he thinks that Durst was practicing killing and disposing of his wife with the dogs yeah. and that he had once told him that he wanted to Igor him like Durst Durst has told it to his brother Douglas that he wanted to Igor him like a use it as like a verb yeah uh, and he said that he had a he didn't own seven dogs he owned three and they are it was just like a public argument about it but there is also a very real theory that Robert Durst was a serial killer and he is under active investigation in California. And he's also on the list of people who might be the Long Island serial killer. That's what I was thinking with the, as soon as you said like bags in the water, and I was dismembered. like dismembered. I was like, hmm. Because of the similarities and like his precision in cutting or dismembering the body, he is one of the people who is maybe, you know, we're still waiting on answers for that one, but. Oof, this guy sucks, man. Yeah, he super sucks. And it's just so frustrating that he's just like this rich idiot who can just keep paying like these smart people to get him out of this shit. Do you know what I would do if I had $100 million? nothing fucking nothing <laughs> like not even a little bit of things like i would be like i'm gonna pay for everyone to do everything How, like the kardashians like build empires of like doing more work not this girl <laughs> not this girl I'm gonna sit there and i'm gonna do nothing i would just watch like yellowstone on tv and work out and it, whatever i didn't couldn't fix working out i would just pay to get fixed and then <laughs> i uh i would definitely do things i wouldn't do nothing 
but I wouldn't murder people and use the money to like get me out of it. No. Oh, yeah. He. There's so many cool things you could do with a hundred million dollars. Oh my god, so many cool things. Like I can't even list all of them. There's so many. Get started on world peace, man. Yeah. (laughs) Get started. I would become like a jack of all trades from my house. Because I just have a feeling that that would give me so much anxiety if people knew how much money I had. I'd be like, right. I would want it to be very secret. I always say, like, if I ever win the lottery, which I don't play, but if I ever did, I would do it completely anonymous and I would just like look the exact same and act the exact same and just keep it really close to the cuff. No one would know, except I would have a pink Vespa. That would be like a splurge of mine. That's it. Just a pink Vespa. Just a pink Vespa. No, I would probably build a cool house too. But not yeah. too cool. There I would be I, heated floors. Yes, heated floors. <laughs> and like the, because I bought one of those towel warmers from Amazon and I was like, oh man, this is the shit until I realized like it's, it's just like, it's not. Why Maybe is it I got a shit. I don't know. Like it was really awesome at first, but I don't know if that was just like a placebo effect. You were just like, I got a new thing. It's the best. But I take such cold showers that I, at the end, I was like, I just want to be like warm. And then I think it's because my body itself is so cold when I get out. It's like warm for like a second. I called and tried to return it to Amazon and they just told me to keep it and they just refunded me. So I guess that's like it's I I like it better now that it was free. (laughs) It's the uh, I love when that happens. But when it's something like that, when you're like, I don't even really want this anymore. You just feel guilty. Like what a waste. Mm -hmm. But at least it was free. That is nice. Because I just kept thinking like a hot towel after a cold shower is everything I needed. Uh, We have a friend and by we, I mean you and I, but her grandpa always puts her grandma's towel in the dryer for her every time she takes a shower and then gets it for her when she gets out. Stop it. Isn't that so cute? Stop. I have, I've known about that for years and I still think about it every time like, no one puts my towel in the dryer for no, me. <laughs> I just call the serial killer for taking cold showers. <laughs> Do you shower cold shower in the morning? Any is it like a wake I... up thing or is it like a nighttime no, thing? I st- I fell into this Reddit rabbit hole of hacking your body to like with these cold showers, like it's like healing and all of this. And I started last summer, and I would the, I started like the last thirty seconds of the shower, I would turn it to cold, and then like I just like worked up from there. But now I feel sick if I take a really hot shower. So like at night, I'll st- like it'll be like lukewarm. I don't take because I don't want to be like wide awake. But I know you like weird. to uh, people stew yourselves. You don't take cold baths, do you? Like ice baths? No, like that's the thing. Like I'll take hot, like burn your flesh hot baths and just sit there. And then I'll let the water out and then I'll just put more hot water in. But like shower wise, lukewarm is like the warmest it gets now. But I prefer like a frigid shower. I did. I also fell into that Reddit rabbit hole and they were talking about how like submerging your body in ice water up to your neck for 11 minutes a week is like will completely rewire you or something. I do feel better. I mean, not the past month because we've all been sick, but like it does. I feel better getting out of the shower when you're. Yeah. With the cold. Do you shower like less time? Do you feel like you're in there? Not as long. I've never been one to take super long showers because I don't like a lot of water in my face. It's a weird thing. So because if you I, close your eyes, you're like, there's someone in here with me. It's like I'm drowning. <laughs> but That's... I don't like stuff on my face in general. Like 
even when I wear makeup, I cannot fucking wait to get it off. I can feel it. It's too it's thick. Like, it's too much. It's suffocating me. I have this. The older I get, I feel you on that. When I like like foundation and stuff, it's really hard for me to do. But I have, I buy the, it's Revlon, but it's a lightweight concealer. And you can still like see like my freckles and stuff through it. But I can barely feel it. And I love it. And I also only use cream blush now as I'm older. I'm like, I don't want to use any powder, anything. Mm-mm. Just feels like, I don't know, dry. Cake. I went through the makeup phase where I was like, I'm going to be a makeup equivalent of an influencer with no influence. I'm going to get really good at it. And then now I'm like, has <laughs> passed. Like much of my other hyperfixations, this too has passed. And the nails, the nails have passed. Yep. <laughs> are, are we on to a new thing yet though? Uh, no, that's what's weird. It's like, so my like husband wrapping actually, presents right now. I'm at that point, like at the end of the year, because I'm a late rapper. Like I'm the up till 3 a.m. Christmas Eve rapping girl. Like mm-hmm. that's just the way I live my life. So I think right now I'm in the, we host, like we have mm-hmm. a central house. So like we host for my side of the family and my husband's side of the family. Everyone comes over. And now I'm in that panic where it's like I'm paralyzed, like task paralyzed until right before I have to get everything done. Maybe mm-hmm. after the new year, I'll find something. I'm sure the new year, it will be a resolution that I'm going to stick to for a couple of weeks. <laughs> no, you can do it. You can do it longer than a couple of weeks. Actually, I just read an article that said it is physically impossible for people who have like ADHD and like varying degrees on the spectrum to stick to routines. Like it's like your brain does not allow you to do it. So you just like break the routine and then you're like, oh, I got to start it again. So that's where I'm going to work on. Like just could sucks because they're absolutely vital for you like you have to Mm -hmm. have them too (laughs) it's like i need it and like i feel so good when i have one but it's like they don't last gotta make a new one Mm -hmm. i wonder you know how like kids or like some parents do like the toy rotation you had like a like a routine rotation you're like (laughs) okay let's see which one i pull out this week (laughs) what is your new year's resolution do you have one yet me I have a whole vision board already for 2023. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the, like if you guys are ever like, what is the difference between the two of you? <laughs> my resolution is one thing, and that's to cook more. And Meg is like, I have a vision board. <laughs> I do have a vision board. Um, but cooking more is a great one. I know that sometimes it feels hard to cook more. Yeah. And like we have so much going on that I find myself just like we'll go out to dinner because i Bitch loves to go out to eat. I love it. <laughs> it's so sad. It's like there's just food you don't like. You sit down somewhere and eat, and someone else cooks for you and then brings to you. It just hits different. We have this restaurant close to me that opened last summer. I think is what it was. So it's it's newer, but it is the best food I've ever had in my entire life. Like actually, when you come, we're gonna go. Ooh, the uh, maybe maybe they're not open on Mondays. They really pride prioritize their time which is dope for them but their burgers are like melt in your mouth burgers it is the best burger i've ever had i would pay a hundred dollars for this burger i do love cheeseburgers you can't like one of my favorite foods top top five i would say top five food for me love a good cheeseburger um i'm honestly trying to think about what's on my vision board right now like what's on my 2023 goals and the big one is just like graduate because i'll be yeah may i'll be done and then I think the other ones are mostly podcast stuff. And I do want to try, I didn't get to do my garden last year. So I would like to do a tea garden this year. And I would love for you to, to like, do a garden. 
my vegetables and I want to make my strawberry patch picker. Yeah, so, I would love for you to have a garden for me to reap benefits of as well. For you to reap the benefits of. Man, that one year I did zucchini and I got like 50 of the biggest zucchini I've ever seen yeah. in my life. And I was like, I'm never doing zucchini again. I still have zucchini in my deep freeze. Still love zucchini so much. It's good, but it's I'm so like, versatile. It's it like, is. it's just, I mean, it could be a fucking dessert. Like, <laughs> very good. It's the only vegetable that does that, I think. Oh, no, carrot cake. Carrot, carrot cake. Yeah. Unless... There are those carrots, zucchinis. What other vegetables can be dessert? I've seen people make uh, avocado, like chocolate, like fudge. No. Or mousse. I don't maybe. trust those people. <laughs> I don't. If you turn avocado into chocolate, we it's don't trust It's the same you. when they're like, oh, you could just throw mayonnaise in your cake. It's the same as like eggs. And I'm like, no. You can just use cauliflower as the bread. Wrong. Yeah, that's the one that gets me. <laughs> like, I understand why people do it. I understand. Like, my mother-in-law has diabetes. So, like, I understand the lure of it. But don't you push that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. That is not bread. And the cauliflower rice. There are people who swear by it. They're like, this tastes just like whatever you're making. And I tried it. I was like, I do like cauliflower rice. I do. I will do a stir fry cauliflower rice. But I have to grate it myself because the frozen kind's too mushy. Like you have to like grate the cauliflower. I also don't like spaghetti squash as pasta. Oh, really? Yeah. It's um, slimy. Sometimes I'll like it and sometimes I don't. It is a texture thing, 100%. If I'm in a weird texture mode, it's not happening for me. Which is weird because I really like quinoa, but like, and that's a weird texture, but I can't do the, I even tried, I bought like four different veggie slicers. I was like, I'm going to get healthy. And then I was just like, ugh. Psych. You know what I can't cook? tastes like Brown rice. See, I I love brown rice. I love it. I can't cook it. I make rice probably twice a week. If I try to make brown rice, it's wrong every time. Do you it's have a rice good. maker? Uh, no, I just do the finger trick. Nope. You gotta, you gotta. I, uh, ha- I had a rice cooker for like a very long time and it broke and I was like, I don't need this. I'm not gonna. You need to buy one for yourself from the podcast fund and get you a rice cooker. A cause... rice cooker? I, I don't know. My favorite rice pot did break though. So that's kind of a bummer. You should have got those caraway pans while you had the chance because they are, they are so, they are, I would not have paid the full price for them. I could see why people do. I'm just cheap, so I wouldn't have, but they are the best pans I've ever used. I, uh, as you know, I don't have a dishwasher and I was washing my, it was, it's a glass pan. It's like a Pyrex Visionware pan and I was washing it and I dropped it and it broke in my sink. Oh no. You have a really heavy-duty sink, so I could see where that would break. It's old. It's porcelain. Isn't it? Oh, that's just porcelain, cast iron. Yeah, it's all those. It's it's really old, but it still gets the job done, and I appreciate it. Also, I like the way it looks. It does look old. super cool. It your does. mother-in-law talked to me for like 20 minutes about how many babies have been washed in that sink when I came to your daughter's birthday party. Both of mine. Both of mine have been. Um, Actually, I put the little one in it recently. And she thought it was hilarious. That's what I want. My mom, like, they redid their kitchen a couple years ago, like, before they sold their house, which is weird, but whatever. They've redid their kitchen, and they put this big, deep sink, like, a single, and I was like, I I want this. Like, we laid my daughter down in it, like, flat, and she was just, like, kind of floating. It was awesome. <laughs> like, that's what I want. It is handy. Um, Earlier... Or when I had when I did that, she was making snow angels in flour that she had dumped all over the floor. 
And I was like, I can't take you in any other room but the kitchen. So here we go. Stop Safe it. Bath. No, she did it. Yes, she absolutely did. Because she's feral. She is very feral. It's that second, that second born. <laughs> oh, she's maddening and feral. And I love her very much because she's hilarious. But my brother's the second born and we were younger and I had cousins visiting from Mexico and my cousin didn't speak English and my brother didn't speak Spanish, but they communicated it enough to dump they were surfing in maple syrup all over the place like they had just <laughs> put it all over the floor like yeah that is 100 percent like my and i thought it was second so horns she would if she heard that she'd be like i'm making plans on when i can do exactly that i was thinking about like how fun it would have been like as a kid but now as an adult it's like i would have lost my shit did he get in trouble did they get in trouble yeah, they they both did because it was like tons of syrup everywhere. Bummer. I we're gonna test your daughter's daughter's feralness when you guys come over Monday because I'm I have a bunch of cookies for them to decorate. Well, earlier I walked into the kitchen and she was just also eating the Kool Aid mix straight from the like can thing, like the stuff that you put in the water. She and her mouth was blue. It looked like she ate like a urinal cake. I was like, no, why? <laughs> And my daughter are like fun together because we have my daughter is essentially like only child syndrome because she's the only girl. She doesn't have to share with anybody, really. And then we have like your daughter who like has an older sister. So she's not down with the bullshit. Yeah, she'll straight up smack you. Um, but also she's a really good sharer. <laughs> because yeah, she's great. She gets she's great nothing. With my <laughs> because my oldest does not share. I picture them like at 16 and someone messing with my daughter and like my daughter's like very tall for her age and like Megan's daughter is not and it be like your daughter that comes in yeah she will she'll come like in Harley swinging. Quinn <laughs> with a bat 100% and I am already proud of her for it it's fine to a certain extent as long as we're not like getting any charges here <laughs> I feel like my I feel like my daughter and your oldest are more similar yeah I can see like that. in the way they are it's their world and we just live in it. Yeah, that's these second kids though. Although my second kid is my snuggliest kid, but he is my most difficult child. Yeah, she's really snuggly. She's very her I always say her love language is 100% physical touch. She has to be on me at all times. Yeah. Like physically touching me. If she's like like earlier she was sitting trying to sit on my lap and I was typing and uh, I was like, "I would love for you to sit on my lap in one minute. Can you sit next to me right now?" and Full on meltdown. I think she was just tired. No, I can only sit on your lap. I'm just like, please don't. My daughter's just been describing to me today how she just keeps cough farting. (laughs) She's got such a deep cough right now. She's like, oh, I coughed and farted again. Isn't that funny? (laughs) It's funny every time. (laughs) You have brothers. (laughs) And that will serve her well. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> she's a bro chick like her mom and i dig it <laughs> a bro chick <laughs> but on that note send us your guys's new year's resolutions we want to hear what you guys are doing yeah. are you a are you a last minute rapper or are you an early rapper are you a do you have a vision music? board yeah, for 2023 yet <laughs> <laughs> or are you of me like oh, i just pick one thing and i'm gonna fail at it but i'm gonna do it anyway you're gonna cook more i think you're gonna do it uh i looked at our end of year expenses because i'm that person 
And between eating out and Amazon, like I could have bought a second house. So something <laughs> has to change. Something's got to go. It's probably it's, your imaginary second house. Yeah, because it's how much on Amazon? Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which... We love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.